Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Exploring Middle Earth podcast with your hosts, Jay, Jay, and Grant, me. Yes. Um, yeah. There we welcome, go. everybody. Welcome to episode 57. This is a continuation of our uh, Fellowship of the Ring deep dive where mm-hmm. we go through two chapters every episode and we just kind of explore, you know, do a few summaries of the chapters, you know, get you guys refreshed. And then we do uh, a few little topics uh, here and there just to kind of explore as we do on Exploring Middle Earth um, and, yeah, figure out a little bit more of the history and lore of these uh, books. So we've done this in the past with The Hobbit, and obviously this is chapters five and six of The yes. Fellowship of the Rings. So if you want to start back at the beginning of the book, um, go ahead and do so now. Uh, there is also a storm picking up outside. So mm-hmm. if you ever hear a little bit of wind and branches against the house, then that's what you hear. Um <laughs> Yeah, so uh, we'll start off with a Chapter 5 summary, A Conspiracy Unmasked. Let's go, dude. Um, Yeah, so uh, from the previous chapter, um, Frodo, Sam, Pippin, and Mary have all found their way to, well, at first it was just Frodo, Sam, and Pippin, uh, traveled across the Shire from Hobbiton, you know, Bag End, all the way to... um, uh, Farmer Maggot's farm, and then across the Buckleberry Ferry. So now Frodo, Sam, Pippin, and Mary are on the Buckleberry Ferry, make their way across the River Brandywine to Buckland. So Buckland is not necessarily part of the Shire, but it is the hobbits that live in Buckland are considered Shire hobbits. It's just kind of an interesting, confusing land, I guess. They are considered very weird to the people that live in the Shire, but then to the people that live in Buckland, the Shire hobbits are very weird. So it's just kind of a, it's just kind of a, you know, a little back and forth tit for tat kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, Everybody thinks they're uh, weird or queer as they say in the, uh, the books, you know? Uh, Yeah. So anyway, so while they cross the narrator, which is Bilbo or Frodo, actually. Oh, it would be yeah. Frodo because he writes the Red Book. Mm-hmm. Um, he uh, he explains the history of Buckland and how uh, Gorhendad Oldbuck uh, settled there long ago, um, and named it Brandy Buck. Or he he changed his name to Brandy Buck because he went across the Brandywine River and his name was Old Buck, so it just went Brandy Buck. Mm-hmm. And then he built Brandy Hall upon uh, the, I think it's called Buckland Hill or uh, something like that. Um, and he had a really big family and he was really wealthy. And then, so Buckland kind of became its own thing, almost like its own county, if you will. Um, yeah, just a big family commune. Yeah, and the Bucklanders were kind of considered um, unusual among hobbits, like I was saying, um, because... They used to be, oh yeah, I can hear it. it's raining yeah. pretty hard outside, uh, because they were, um, uh, what is it? What would you call it? descended from the stores, mm-hmm. the you know the Hobbit types, um, and they so they had a love of boats and boating. Oh yeah, it's raining hard now. Um, yeah, so they had a love of boats and boating, um, and they also locked their doors at night, which was very unusual for the Shire because they live so close to the old forest. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, so the ferry, the Buckleberry Ferry, reaches the other side, and the hobbits get off um, by Buckland Hill, or whatever it's called, Brandy Hall. Um, and Sam sees something on the other side. Um, what is and, it? 
Yeah. <laughs> so as we know from the other chapters, the Black Riders have been kind of stalking or chasing after Frodo. Uh, obviously, <laughs> because of the uh, one ring that he has. Um, <clears throat> you know the one ring. Yeah, um, that one. So, And that's what the hobbits think it is. They think it's the Black Rider because it's very similar. Um, very similar to what they've seen before. And um, when Frodo asks uh, Mary if any of the horses have ever crossed the river before, like if it's shallow enough, and Mary said he doesn't think so, and he says that the nearest bridge is the Brandywine Bridge 20 miles to the north. Wow. So they're they're safe for now. You mm-hmm. know, they're safe enough. Uh, Mary rides ahead towards Crick Hollow, which is the home that Frodo had bought uh, to move into, and he goes to get Fatty Bulger, one of their friends, um, to get supper ready for them so mm-hmm. that when they finally arrive, they can just settle down and rest. Frodo has some good friends. You know? He does have some good friends. I don't yeah. even think he's paying any of them to do this. No, they're just they're just there. They're just doing it. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> yeah, so after they walk from the ferry all the way to uh, Crick Hollow, which is a uh, where Frodo has his nice secluded house uh, out of the way of all the other hobbits, which is mm-hmm. the whole purpose, um, Fatty Bulger welcomes in, and um, and Frodo uh, says that um, that all the furniture that Fatty and Mary have put together uh, is so much like bag end that it's almost like he hasn't moved at all so it's kind mm-hmm. of a nice nice second home feels like home yeah um but none of the hobbits except for sam know of frodo's ultimate plan to actually leave the shire and he kind of dreads telling them when he eventually does have to leave you know mm-hmm. so he just kind of puts those thoughts out of his head for now um and then they get into a bath. Pippin sings a little bath song. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they have a supper using Farmer Maggot's basket of mushrooms that he gave them before they left or parted ways. Mm-hmm. And uh, we know that hobbits have a particular taste for mushrooms. Um, after dinner, Mary asks the others to explain the Black Riders to him uh, because it's kind of a mystery. Frodo doesn't really say anything, but Pippin retells their adventure to uh, Fatty and um, Mary. And then Frodo is kind of asked to explain the rest of his plan, but he doesn't really reveal um, anything. But then finally, everybody, you know, except for Sam, Sam kind of stays quiet. But finally, everybody mm-hmm. reveals that they already know Frodo's plan. He got pranked. Yeah, Frodo he got, got pranked. He got pranked. So... The whole point of this chapter, a conspiracy on mass, is that is that there is a conspiracy that Frodo wasn't even a part of. Mm-hmm. All of the hobbits, all of his friends, knew of Frodo's plan to leave the Shire, and they were willing to help him in any way. So he has really good friends, you know. But do they know about the ring and everything, or just that he was going to leave the Shire? I think, well, I mean, Sam knows about the ring. Mm-hmm. Um, I think what it was is that at least Mary or Pippin knew about the ring because they had seen, they had once seen, um, I can't remember which one it is. It's in the book, but, uh, one of them had seen, um, Oh, hold on. It's right. It's right here in my notes. (laughs) Mm Um, I'll, yeah, I'll just, I'll keep reading. You'll, you'll see. Okay. Um, yeah. So they already knew about the plan and they had come up with this whole conspiracy to help him. Um, and Mary explains that he's, uh, suspected that Frodo would follow Bilbo, uh, sooner or later because he had been showing some signs of leaving, kind of saying goodbye to a few places and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And Frodo starts to apologize for his plan to leave the others behind, but he realizes that he actually has some pretty good friends. So Yeah, good um, dudes. Yeah, Mary also responds by saying that he and Pippin have already decided to come along with Sam, mm-hmm. um, and they will not budge. Uh, Mary also says that he has known about the One Ring for a long time, so it's Mary. Mm-hmm. Um, a year before Bilbo's birthday party, the the big built day, built day, <laughs> built day, Bilbo party, Pilf day. They, hey, nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, yeah, so a year before the um, big birthday party, the long expected party, uh, he happened to spot Bilbo. <laughs> oh you got gosh. it, Grant. Bilbo vanishing into thin air to avoid the Sackville Bagginses who are coming down the road. Uh, and once they had gone, Mary observed Bilbo reappearing in thin air and putting something shiny into his pocket. So uh, Mary kept kept on spying on Bilbo because he was very curious, and he eventually learned a secret. Um, he briefly read from Bilbo's memoir, There and Back Again, which is the Red Book that uh, later becomes the Hobbit, mm-hmm. and um, due to Frodo not having uh, that book, they they decided that Bilbo must have taken it with him. So because they would have figured out what the ring was if they kept reading the book, you know. Yeah. So they didn't have the book with them though. Yeah, because they had they would have had easy access to it after Bilbo left and Frodo was there because they were there all the time. Yeah, and they would they would have figured they would have figured it out a long time ago, but because mm-hmm. Bilbo took it, you know. Yeah. They they had to figure it out for themselves. So Frodo's a little confused by the whole conspiracy though. He wanted to know how everyone knew what his plan was, even if they had known about the ring, how had they known he was gonna leave from Crick Hollow, you know? And this is where Sam comes in. Sam uh Sam kind of reveals that he was the whole he was the main conspirator. He was the uh the information gatherer. Mm-hmm. And uh Frodo's very surprised, of course, but he he was he kind of realized, you know, once again he realized, you know what, I have some pretty good friends. I got some good guys. So, yeah, uh, yeah. So then they they sing another song. They sing a, a song called "Farewell." We call to Hearth and Hall. I'm not gonna mm-hmm. sing it, but it's it's a good song. Um, and it was written by Mary and Pippin for the occasion, which usually all the songs we see in like The Hobbit, The Lord of the Rings, are like songs written by elves or. Uh, uh, Bilbo, because mm-hmm. Bilbo liked uh, writing songs. So, yeah, so they they do a few songs in this chapter, which is kind of fun. Uh, yeah. It makes it feel like it's still part of the Hobbit story, you know, and not necessarily the Lord of the Rings yet, um, which is also, again, why I like the Fellowship of the Ring is because it feels like it's an extension of the Hobbit and not really until you get to, like, Elrond's, like, Rivendell, the last homely house, does it start to feel like it's something different and start to feel like it's... Uh, um, you know, part of like a new story. I yeah, guess. yeah. So, anyways, um, Frodo's plan then is to wake up before the sun rises to kind of get everything ready and to leave so that they can kind of um leave behind like a cold trail for the Black Riders if they do end up following them. Yeah, and uh, everybody's ready to go, but it's just um, Fatty decides he's going to be the one to stay behind and look after the house. So it makes it appear that someone's still living there. So nobody really suspects Frodo is completely gone. Mm-hmm. Um, and also to kind of, you know, get, get rid of the black riders. If they come knocking, just say, yeah, you know, Frodo's out. Frodo's gone. Yeah. He'll be back one day, maybe that sort of thing. So fatty 
pretty brave actually. Pretty brave. Behind. Also a really nice gig. You just are house sitting. House sitting, yeah. And Frodo is pretty wealthy at that point too, mm-hmm. so he probably had enough money to keep buying himself food and so mm-hmm. pretty nice gig, yeah. Yeah. I would say so. Mm-hmm. And then that night, the night before he finally decides to set off uh for um for Bilbo, uh he has a very interesting dream. And I'll explain the dream later. Um, after a few topics we get into. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, there's kind of a recurring dream or like a, I guess a, a theme or like some sort of like uh, vision, I guess, that Frodo has. So we'll talk about it in a little bit. Yeah. But now on to the next chapter. Okay, yeah. So the next chapter titled The Old Forest um, because of where they're heading to. Um, so the next chapter starts off the next morning after Frodo's dream. Um, the group sets off early. And um, Mary leads them to the main path into the forest. And they plan to head northeast and follow the road. Um, and they enter the old forest, but immediately lose the path. Um, the forest is hot and stuffy, and it seems as if the trees are listening to the hobbits and even moving to block their progress. So it's kind of like spooky, and it's just confusing them in there. Um, the, hobbits will v- er, the hobbits eventually find the path. Uh, but it begins to turn in the wrong direction towards the heart of the forest. Um, leaving the path, they find that every time they head north, the trees block their way, only permitting them to go southeast deeper into the forest. So they're getting worried. So the hobbits, they reach uh, the river R- Withywindle uh, in the middle of the old forest, passing under an enormous old willow tree, and they f- suddenly feel so hot and sleepy that they sit down. And then... Um, all of them, except for Sam, fall asleep with their backs against the tree, and Sam fights off drowsiness and goes to find the hobbits' ponies, which have wandered off. Um, and then Sam hears two to separate noises, a splash and then a click, like a lock, f- lock fastening. Um, and when he returns, he sees that Frodo has fallen into the river at the foot of the tree and is seemingly uh, pinned down by one of its roots. So Sam hauls Frodo out, and Frodo says he's certain that the old tree pushed him into the river. So they're starting to um, get worried, but they're also... um, uh, I think Sam is saying he was dreaming Yeah. as well. So since Sam left, he wasn't there when that happened, and he doesn't believe that all this... or what's... that this tree actually moved them, but Frodo is certain that the tree pushed him in. So then they turn around... And Frodo and Sam see that Merry and Pippin are caught inside the cracks of the trunk of the tree, which closed around them like it grew around them, but mm. really fast, not not very slow, like a regular tree would. So the hobbits smack the tree and try to light it, light a fire near it. Um, but when they're doing this, the tree begins to squeeze Merry, um, who yells that the tree is telling him it will crush him if the hobbits do not put the fire out. Um and they're kind of like freaking out and uh they it doesn't like register with them right away what exactly that means because they're just trying to get their dudes out yeah. so frodo frodo panics and runs down to the river yelling for help and he's surprised to hear an answer the sound of a nonsense called jolly singing um and then a plump man in a blue coat and yellow boots comes <gasps> dancing down the path who is it tom bombadil yes 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 uh, and he sees Love him. yes maybe here I'll see if I can pull up I'm gonna pull up the uh, or I'll just look it up. 
Tom Bomb Bombadil song. Um, and I'll I'll read. Oh, it you out. can read it for everybody. Yeah. Are you gonna actually sing it or? <laughs> um, I don't know. That's okay, man. I'll just I'll read it. I didn't sing any of the songs mm-hmm. I mentioned, so. So this is um. His. Uh, yeah, so this is the song that they hear, or Frodo hears when he runs down to the river to uh, call for help. Hey, come Mary Dole, Derry Dole, my darling. Light goes a weather wind and the feathered starling. Down along Underhill, shining in the sunlight, waiting on the doorstep for the cold starlight. There my pretty lady is, river woman's daughter, slender as a willow wand, cleaner than, clearer than the water. Old Tom Bombadil, water lilies bring. Come hopping home again, can you hear him sing? Hey, come Mary Dole, Derry Dole, and Mary O. Gold berry, gold berry, Mary yellow berry O. Poor old willow man, you tuck your roots away. Tom's in a hurry now, everything will follow day. Tom's going home again, water lilies bringing. Hey, come Mary Dole, can you hear me singing? So it's just... Um, nice. You can, Gotta love it. Yeah. It's He's just jolly. a little, fun little song. Yeah. Um... So yeah, the plump blue man, Tom Bombadil, um, no plump man in a blue coat. Sorry, yes, blue coat, yellow boots, comes dancing down and he sees the Hobbit situation and he is very familiar with the tricks of Old Man Willow, which uh, <coughs> you'll I'll talk to about later. Um, but so going up to the tree, Tom sings into the crack. Uh, one second, the crack. No, swing. There we go. Hit the right one. He sings into the crack. Um, and orders the tree to release Merry and Pippin. Um, and Old Man Willow promptly obeys, which kind of shows that old, or not old, Tom Bombadil, old Tom Bombadil. He's got some power. He's got some power. Yeah. Um, and uh, Old Man Willow lets him go. So then in answer, to, in answer to the Hobbit's thanks, Tom tells him to join him at his and his bride, Goldberry, for dinner. Uh, the Hobbits are bewildered. Um, but they follow Tom along the river as he sings. Um, and I'll just read the other song he does. This one's a little shorter. Um, well, there's different parts to it. So this is when they're going along. It says, hop along, my little friends, up the withy windle. Tom's going on ahead, candles for the kindle. Down west sinks the sun. Soon you will be groping. When the night shadows fall, for then the door will open. Out of the window panes, light will twinkle yellow. Fear no alder back. Or Alder Black, heed no hoary willow. Fear neither root nor bow. Time goes on before you. How now, Mary Dole, will be waiting for you. Hey, come, Mary Dole, hop along my hearties. Hobbits, ponies, all, we found. We are fond of parties. Now let the fun begin and let us sing together. And then it goes on for a while. Nice. But um, it's just his main thing is the uh, hey, Dole, Mary Dole, ring a dong dillo. Yeah. Um, in s- different variations of that, but he's just a happy guy, and um, <coughs> we'll talk about him more later. But also, we have a whole episode on Tom Bombadil. Yes, we do. I can't remember what the n- what number it is, but I'm pretty sure the name is Tom Bum- Baldir Bombadil. It's it, I think it's what's the Tom Bombadil? Yeah, what's the something? Tom Bombadil? Yeah. Good, Grant. Nice. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. I think you came up with that. Yeah. So that's why you remember. <laughs> it's it's somewhere it's somewhere down there. It's kind of yeah. earlier, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, um, the hobbits are following him. They come out of the old forest into a pleasant clearing, and go up to the hill where Tom Bombadil's house stands. And a woman's voice sings out to them. I'll quick read what 
Goldberry sings, and then we can end this part. Right. Um, so this is when they see Goldberry. She says, Now let the song begin. Let us sing together of sun, stars, moon, and mist, rain, and cloudy weather. Light on the budding leaf, dew on the feather, wind on the open hill, bells on the heather. Reeds on the shady pool, lilies on the water, old Tom Bombadil and the river daughter. Nice. River daughter being uh, Goldberry. Yes. But yeah, so that's the uh, um, summary of chapter six. They pretty much get into the uh, ri- or the old forest and have a little fiasco and get saved by one of the best characters, Tom Bombadil. Heck yeah. Which isn't in the movies, which... Um, I feel like we've talked about it before. It makes sense that it wouldn't be in the movies because it's like a whole tonal shift. And, yeah. Um, it's just like it'd be probably be like a whole half an hour to an hour edition. It would have been cool to see, but also I feel like it wouldn't have done it justice if they just had a quick section. I think yeah. both, of the, both of these chapters aren't even in the book. I mean, yeah, they, go, I they go into they go through the old forest, but we never see Frodo's well, new house. And I don't even think we see them really go through the old forest. Oh, really? Yeah, because I think um, it, this always was weird to me. But like they, when they take the ferry or whatever, after they go through the farms and stuff, when they take the ferry and it's like raining, you know, like at night. Yeah. Then the next scene, when the Black Riders are chasing them, they arrive at the gates of Bree, mm. and then they enter in when it's still raining. So it's like they mm. skip the whole old forest Barrow Downs part. Which, yeah. I mean, again, it does make sense because, like, the whole point of the Old Forest is to meet Tom Bombadil, and then the whole point of the Barrow Downs is to get rescued by Tom Bombadil. Mm-hmm. And that's where they find their, like, their... Uh, swords. Uh, the swords. Yeah. The swords of Westerness. Mm-hmm. But it's kind of like, like, I guess they don't really need to do that for the whole movie to keep moving. It's just mm-hmm. kind of funny because you never really yeah. think about it when you're watching the movie but then when you go back and read the book you're like oh they literally skipped like five chapters yeah but it makes sense and it it is interesting how you're t- earlier you're talking about um how this feels like a part of extension of the hobbit yeah this specifically the whole tom bombadil sequence feels a lot like the hobbit yeah and then once you're past the tom bombadil it gets into more of lord of the rings feel yeah like once they get to brie pretty much yeah mm-hmm yeah, that's like almost like the real start of the Lord of the Rings. Yeah, if you will, if you will, yeah, you know, if I will. Okay. Are you? Yeah, will I you? think I will. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, why don't you move on to your topic, dude? Yeah. So I talked about Buckland a little bit, uh, very briefly, and I didn't want to kind of pull out all the stops and talk about all of Buckland, Mm-mm. but here I am. So here you are, dude. Here I am. So yeah, I'm going to talk about the history of Buckland and kind of what it is and. All that jazz, you know, all that jazz if you're into it. Yeah, so Buckland was a small, uh, narrow land between the Shire and the Brandywine River border in the west and the Old Forest in the east, stretching north to the Brandywine Bridge and the East Road and south to the confluence of the Withywindle and the Brandywine Rivers. So it was kind of elliptical in shape, you know, bordered by the river and the forest. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was about like... Uh, like 35 40 miles long and i don't know maybe like 20 miles wide so it was, it was pretty sh- small but it was a, it was a nice size land you know enough for a family of brandy bucks to live in there very comfortably um after the shire had been settled for 740 years by the hobbits of the stores fallowhides and harfoots the Oldbuck family, led by Gorhendad Oldbuck, 
went back across the uh, Brandywine River east and settled in this in that small land uh, between the river and the old forest. Uh, they began to build the Brandy Hall close to the bank of the river upon Buck Hill. It was a huge system of hobbit holes and tunnels and cellars, and many hundreds of the old Buck family, now called the Brandy Bucks, lived. Um, as the population of the Brandy Bucks in Buckland, which was the name of their new land, began to grow, Gorhendad became the leader not only of their family, but of the land, being dubbed the Master of Buckland. Buckland was not a part of the Shire and was essentially a tiny independent country. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Buckleberry uh, near Buck Hill was the main village of Buckland. Um, it was kind of surrounding Brandy Hall. There was also Newbury, uh, Crick Hollow, which is where Frodo eventually ended up buying his house, uh, Standelf, um, and Haysend. The influence of the powerful Brandy Buck stretched even across the river into the Shire, and the villages of Stock and Rushy acknowledged they were under the sway of the master of Buckland. And this is also around the area where Farmer Maggot had his farm. Um, which, what was that called again? Farmer Maggot's farm? Yeah. Some oh. Bamferlong. Yeah. Yeah. It was a weird name. Bamferlong. Bamferlong. Uh, yeah, so... The old forest uh, eventually became a problem for the Bucklanders as it began to encroach on their homes and farms on the borders. The Brandybucks proceeded to build a tall hedge as a fence in response to the forest, and this was called the High Hay. It stretched from north to south across Buckland's whole eastern border, pretty much from the bridge to the uh, for until the Withywindle uh, kind of joined the Brandywine. Mm-hmm. Um, in the Third Age, 2911, during the fell winter, the Brandywine River froze over and white wolves from the north across the river, or they crossed the river and attacked Buckland and the Shire. Um, and so I think they'll, uh, you'll hear that mentioned like kind of in the, the Hobbit or like in the appendix and stuff like that. And they'll talk about that a little bit in the mm-hmm. history of the Shire. Um, because the land where Buckland is may not have technically been a part of the Arthodyne, the kingdom, when the king of Arthodyne first granted the hobbits the right to settle the Shire, this made Buckland's claim to be independent all the more solid, even though it was formed 300 or so years after Arthodyne had fallen. Although in all aspects, Buckland still functioned with the same sort of rules as the rest of the Shire and was much like Tookland, Tookland, Tookland. that was controlled by the Tooks within the Shire. Uh, basically, it was just a family-owned uh, county or land or whatever. Mm-hmm. The hobbits of the Marish, which is where Bamferlong is, like I was saying, on the other side of the river, and the hobbits of Buckland all acknowledged the authority of the master of Buckland instead of the thane of the Shire, who was a took by inheritance. Because of the Shire's, because the Shire's government is so loose and decentralized, no one could rival the claims made by Buckland. So it went on as is. Most hobbits would see it as the far edge and and odd frontier of the Shire. Uh, Most of the Brandy Bucks have a strong fallowhide bloodline and were prone to wandering adventure, although their most ancient beginnings were stores, like I said earlier, and which is why they were fond of riversides and marshy areas, and they also enjoyed boating, which is frowned upon by other hobbits, and they often wore boots because of the muddy and soft ground in the marish. Oh, interesting. Um, they also lived, uh, or because they lived on the very edge of hobbit lands, in quotations, if you will, and near to the old forest, the Bucklanders were accustomed to danger and strangers, and stranger danger. Stranger and danger. And locked their doors at night, which was unusual for any other hobbit of the Shire, as most hobbits were very carefree mm-hmm. and uh trustworthy 
they also had the horn call of Buckland that would rouse the land in case of danger. So they were they were prepared. They were you know used to danger. Yeah. Um, there is also some debate about it, but it is likely that Buckland was added to the Shire during the reign of King Elisar after the War of the Ring ended. Um, it may have been called East March afterwards because there's like a few mentions in the like the later appendices where it talks about East March. Um, but basically the only Eastern land outside of the Shire would be Buckland. So yeah. it makes sense that it might've been called East March after that. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's kind of a brief history about uh, Buckland and kind of what it is and all that sort of stuff. It's not necessarily part of the Shire until after the war of the ring, when King Elisar, uh basically states that no one is to enter the Shire other than hobbits. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Good move on him. Yeah. By him, not on him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Good move, move on right. him. Yeah, no. Yeah. Move right. on. Uh, and so now, uh, like I said earlier, I'm going to move on. To, actually. Let's do an ad and yeah. then you can move on. You know what? Stop guys, now. We'll stop. do an ad. Yeah. And then I'll let you move Don't on. listen to me. Yeah. yeah. See you guys after the ad. Yes. Hello, everybody. Welcome back. Yeah. Welcome back. Welcome thanks, back guys. To yeah. Thanks for waiting for me. Yeah, Grant's gonna. Grant just gave us a history of the Buckland and the Brandy Bucks, and now he's gonna hop on to Frodo's Dream. Yeah, buddy. Yeah, so Frodo's Dream, like I was saying earlier, I didn't want to really get into it until now because now I can actually explain it in full instead of making the summary a million minutes long. Yeah, that's a lot of minutes. It is a lot of minutes, man. So I've actually got two uh, passages that I'm gonna read from. One of them is very long, the other is pretty short. So mm-hmm. the first one I want to read, though, is the actual. Uh, paragraph that talks about Frodo's dream for the first time. Okay, makes sense. Um, and yeah, so this is at the very end of uh, a conspiracy unmasked. Let me find the page real quick here. So this is basically the night before they go into the old forest, and which is when Frodo has his dream. <clears throat> red leather, yellow leather, red leather, yellow leather. Okay. When at last he had got to bed, Frodo could not sleep for some time. His legs ached. He was glad that he was riding in the morning. Eventually he fell into a vague dream in which he seemed to be looking out of a high window over a dark sea of tangled trees. Down below, among the roots, there was the sound of creatures crawling and snuffling. He felt sure they would smell him out sooner or later. Then he heard a noise in the distance. At first he thought it was a great wind coming over the leaves of the forest. Then he knew that it was not leaves, but the sound of the sea far off, a sound he had never heard in waking life, though it had often troubled his dreams. Suddenly he found he was out in the open. There were no trees after all. He was on a dark heath, and there was a strange salt smell in the air. Looking up, he saw before him a tall white tower, standing alone on a, alone on a high ridge. A great desire came over him to climb the tower and see the sea. He started to struggle up the ridge towards the tower, but suddenly a light came in the sky, and there was a noise of thunder. Mm. So that is Frodo's dream that he has. What does that even mean? What the heck? What does it mean? It also, if you paid attention to it, it also said that the sound of the sea troubled his dreams before. So he's had dreams similar to that. Maybe not as detailed as that one, but he's had dreams of the sea before. So Mm -hmm. this is sort of a recurring thing for him. Yeah. Yeah, so... Um. Yeah, in the dream, basically the biggest part of that is he sees, or he's like, sees the white tower by the sea, and he hears like a noise, like wind, but it ends up being the sea, and then um, 
Yeah. So, you know, there's that whole thing. There's also, there's like a few theories that kind of talk about that dream specifically, um, that the dreams might've been induced by Tom Bombadil before entering the old forest. Uh, kind of just as like a welcome to the old forest type thing. Like <laughs> this is my realm. You'll have some crazy dreams. Um, which they did sort of like kind of have a weird dream sleep by old man Willow. <clears throat> yeah. But that was mostly old man Willow's doing. Um, so others think it might've been like the old forest, like being so close to the old forest made him have a weird dream. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so even though Tom is a benevolent and powerful spirit, he seems to only have that influence within the forest and not outside of the forest. And since Frodo was outside of the forest still in Buckland, it seems kind of unlikely that Tom was the one who gave him that dream. Um, Frodo also does have another dream. Uh, well, I think he has kind of like a few dreams, but another big one, another important one, is about Gandalf being trapped on top of a tall tower, which is later revealed oh. to be Orthanc, and Gandalf yeah. is indeed a prisoner of Sauron in the dream. Um, and this kind of dream was more or less a communication to Gandalf and not necessarily prophetic or indicative of Frodo's future. Um, and then another... Uh, I believe that comes up later in the Lord of the Rings uh, Fellowship of the Ring. Um, and another possible explanation for the dream is that the creatures snuffling in the trees below him were the ring wraiths um, sniffing him oh. out, you know, because they made that sniffing sound. Mm-hmm. And that the tower he was in was Elostir, or the tower that he saw was Elostirian in the Tower Hills, which is pretty close to the sea. So that would yeah. make sense. Um, and the. Yeah, so, and then there's another passage I want to read, which is very long because it's a whole poem, basically. A whole poem. A whole poem, but it is uh, out of Tales from a Perilous Realm in the uh, part, uh, The Adventures of Tom Bombadil. Let me pull up the page real quick. Almost there. He's almost there, guys. Don't worry. And it is the... It is the poem or song, if you will, called The Sea Bell. So I will read it here. Just bear with me. Just listen to me and just pretend. Close your eyes, you're, unless you're driving. Yeah, just imagine this. If you can, <coughs> close your eyes and just listen. Yeah. <laughs> I walked by the sea, and there came to me, as a starbeam on the wet sand, a white shell like a sea bell. Trembling it lay in my wet hand. In my fingers shaken, I heard waken, a ding within by a harbor bar, a buoy swinging, a call ringing, over endless seas faint now and far. Then I saw a boat silently float on the night tide, empty and gray. It is later than late, why do we wait? I leapt and cried, bear me away. It bore me away, wetted with spray, wrapped in a mist, wound in a sleep, to a forgotten strand in a strange land, in the twilight beyond the deep. I heard a sea bell swing in the swell. Dinging, dinging in the breaker's roar on the hidden teeth of a perilous reef, and at last I came to a long shore. White it glimmered, and the sea simmered, and the star mirrors in a silver net. Cliffs of stone pale as rule bone, and the moon foam were gleaming wet. Glittering sand slid through my hand, dust of pearl and jewel grist. Trumpets of opal, roses of coral, flutes of green and amethyst. But under cliff eaves there were glooming caves. Weed curtain dark and gray, a cold air stirred in my hair, and the light waned as I hurried away. Down from a hill ran a green rill, its water I drank to my heart's ease. Upon its fountain stair to a country fair, of ever eve I came far from the seas. Climbing into meadows of fluttering shadows, flowers lay there like fallen stars. And on a blue pool, glassy and cool, like floating moons and noon afars. 
Alders were sleeping and willows weeping by a slow river of rippling weeds. Gladden swords guarded the fords and green spears and arrow reeds. There was an echo of song all the evening long, down in the valley, many a thing, running to and fro, hairs white as snow, voles out of holes, moths on the wing, with lantern eyes and quiet surprise, brocks were staring out of dark doors. I heard dancing there, music in the air, feet going quick on the green floors, but wherever I came it was ever the same, the feet fled and all was still, never a greeting, only the fleeting, pipes, voices, horns on the hill. Of river leaves and rush sheaves I made me a mantle of jewel green, a tall wand to hold and a flag of gold, my eyes shone like the star sheen. With flowers crowned I stood on a mound, as shrill as a call at cock crow. Proudly I cried, Why do you hide? Why do none speak wherever I go? Here now I stand, king of this land, with gladdened sword and reed mace. Answer my call, come forth all, speak to me words, show me a face. Black came a cloud as a night shroud, like a dark mole gr groping I went to the ground falling on my hands crawling, with eyes blind and my back bent. I crept to a wood, silent it stood, in its dead leaves, bare were its bows. There must I sit, wandering in wit, while owls snored in their hollow house. For a year and a day there must I stay. Beetles were tapping in the rotten trees. Spiders were weaving in the mold heaving, puffballs loomed about my knees. At last there came light in my long night, and I saw my hair hanging gray. Bent though I be, I must find the sea. I have lost myself, and I know not the way. But let me be gone. Then I stumbled on, like a hunting bat shadow was over me. In my ears dinned a withering wind, and with ragged briars I tried to cover me. My hands were torn and my knees worn, and years were heavy upon my back. When the rain in my face took a salt taste, and I smelled the smell of sea-rack. Birds came sailing, mewing, wailing. I heard voices in cold caves, seals barking and rocks snarling, and in spout the gulping of waves winter came fast into a mist i passed to land's end my years i bore snow was in the air ice in my hair darkness was lying on the last shore there still afloat waited the boat in the tide lifting its prow tossing weary as i lay as it bore me away the waves climbing the seas crossing passing old halls clustered with gulls the great ships laden with light coming to haven dark as a raven silent as snow deep in the night Houses were shuttered, wind round them muttered, roads were empty, I sat by a door, and where drizzling rain poured down, down a drain, I cast away all that I bore, in my clutching hand some grains of sand, in a seashell silent and dead. Never will my ear that bell hear, never my feet that shore tread, never again as in sad lane, in blind alley, and in long street, ragged I walk, to myself I talk, for they speak not, men that I meet. Yep. Nice. There it is. That was very um, good, Grant. Thank you. So, is who whose perspective? Like, who's the narrator in that? Yeah. So, <clears throat> it's it's kind of that one's also kind of debatable too. Um, there's like a whole like I oh, I have a link here that I was going to click on. Here we go. Okay. Um, but yeah, like I have um, there's like a lot of different theories. Like that's because there's also like a little thing that's written on the top of it called Frodo's dream. Mm. Um, so. It's it's either Frodo wrote it as kind of like a like one of his dreams that he had, or it was also thought that um, Sam actually wrote it and it was based on a dream that Frodo had that he told Sam mm -hmm. that he told Sam about. So um, it's kind of back and forth on that one too. It's um you know there's a uh, there's also like 
this thing that Gandalf says at the very end where he sees, um, I'm not sure it's Gandalf. I know it's Gandalf in the movie where he talks about like, he thinks death is like, um, like sailing and seeing this, like this, like glass curtain and it parts. And then you see a far green country under a swift sunrise. I'm pretty sure Frodo says that somewhere in the book, but Gandalf says it in the movies and that's basically Valinor. And then in that, uh, sea bell poem or song or whatever, um, the land that the character goes to is Valinor, but it's like, and it's like all the elves and like all the music and voices that he hears are elves and stuff. But then every time he gets closer, they all disappear. Kind of like, you know, how in the Hobbit, when the, uh, Bilbo and the dwarves like see the wood elves Mm -hmm. having their feast or whatever, and they get close, but then they all scatter. It's kind of like that. And then it also talks about how the sand, when he picks it up, when he gets to those shores of Valinor, when he picks it up, it's basically jewel grist and like crystals and pearl sand, basically. And that's, it talks about that in the Silmarillion, how the, the pearls of Alcolande and Tol Erisea were so, well, it's probably Tol Erisea where he's on actually, but how the jewels and the like diamonds and the pearls were so like, there were so many of them that they just scattered them in the sand on the beaches. Yeah. And so that, uh, when the sun shone, it like glistened and stuff. So that's where he's at. He's over in the undying lands, uh, whether Tol Erisea or Valinor. So, um, yeah, a lot of people think it's either, um, it's either Frodo that wrote it down and kind of passed it along to Sam or, um, Frodo had kind of mentioned it to Sam and maybe Sam forgot some of the details or added some of his own. Mm-hmm. And then that's kind of the result because it doesn't really seem like some, like the kind of style Frodo would write in, but it seems more like the style Sam would write in if he was trying to, uh, like imitate Bilbo style, mm-hmm. um, which he does with the troll, uh, poem in the adventures of Tom Bombadil. Yeah. So yeah, it's kind of, it's very interesting, but it is, it's a very similar dream to the one that Frodo has right before he goes to the old forest. But in this dream, he actually goes on a ship out to sea to the land that he sees. So instead mm-hmm. of just seeing it from a, a tall tower. So yeah. Um, basically Frodo's dreams are, um, like I said, like they're like, I guess prophetic in a way. And it shows that Frodo will eventually travel West mm-hmm. o- on a ship over the sea and come to the undying lands. And so it was a, it was a dream that he kept having, which also shows that he was a part of like some bigger plan and that the whole plan, like, you know, all along was for him to be the one basically to kind of defeat Sauron that, you know, like someone so small as him or insignificant, maybe um, would be the one to kind of end it all. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So it's kind of a, kind of a nice, um, kind of a nice uh ending to it all is that he gets to go to the undying lands yeah and it looks like that poem the sea bell was written in 1934 which yeah. is the tolkien started writing lord of the rings in 1937 mm-hmm. so this was an earlier uh work that he um uh incorporated into lord of the rings yeah which i guess is makes you think of it differently than if he had written it after lord of the rings yeah that's true to fit yeah. into it and it's interesting how even that isn't even frodo's the mention of frodo's dream is intentional and you can go back and find yeah this whole other thing it is interesting too because a lot of the things tolkien wrote he wrote a long time before the lord of the rings or even mm-hmm. the hobbit sometimes and he actually like when he's writing the lord of the rings he kind of 
like the writings he had made before influences how he writes the Lord of the Rings because it's not like he's just like, oh, I had this old poem. I might as well add it because it kind of fits in with it. He's like, it's more or less like, like I do have this old poem and it is important. So how can I make the story like, like how can I incorporate it into the, or how can I, um, incorporate this, the Lord of the Rings into the poem basically. Yeah. So it's kind of interesting. Yeah, it is. Yes, it is. So is that what you have? Heard? Yeah, that's, that's about all I, it's, it's kind of a, a very vague topic. Like not, there's no like one specific answer. Like it can be seen in a lot of different ways and it really is just kind of up to you to decide whether it's a prophetic dream or it's just a dream he's having or, you know, like what is it Valinor or is it like the old forest? Is that the trees that he's looking at when he's having the dream or, you know, that sort of thing. Or maybe it's like Fangorn. I don't know. Um, Mm -hmm. but yeah, so very interesting. So yeah, that's my little topic there. Moving on to you, man. Yeah, that is interesting. It, um, and I guess before I get to the old man Willow and stuff, we could talk more about just what the adventures of Tom Bombadil is because it does relate to Buckland and the, uh, um, hobbits basically. Yeah, Yeah. So the adventures of Tom Bombadil, um, was a collection of poems published after Lord of the Rings. But, like, with the sea bell... Yeah, a lot of them were written before. Yeah, a lot of them were written before. And Tolkien used it as a... Uh, what he did is he he wrote it and then claimed that hobbits wrote it. Yeah. And it's, like, um, the whole idea of how he said he wasn't writing... what He wasn't writing the history, he was discovering the history. Yeah, yeah. It's just, like, a, um, he just uh, advertised it, I guess, as... Um, he found these poems that were written by these ho- by the hobbits, and yeah. um, so it just Tom Bombadil is a whole uh, mythical or like a myth kind of to the hobbits, um, or myth or legend outside of um, the Lord of the Rings. There's this whole uh, thing going on with Tom Bombadil, and um, it's part of the Red Book, that uh, Red Book of Westmarch. Yeah, which um is what uh has a collection of all the the hobbit and the lord of the rings and then um because in the it's kind it's kind of trippy to think about it that in the um the book that's mentioned in lord of the rings and the hobbit that they're writing is the book you're reading yeah so it's kind of trippy to think about it, it that is, way yeah. so then technically the adventures of tom bombadil is addition an addition to that book the red book yeah um, it's just weird to think about. It, it is I weird never be- thought about it because like every once in a while when I'm like reading the Lord of the Rings or the Hobbit or something like that, it mm-hmm. always like strikes me that like, like what if I think, you know, instead of thinking of like, Oh, this is like Tolkien was writing this part instead of thinking that like, no, it's actually like Bilbo writing this part. It's Frodo yeah. writing the Lord of the Rings part. It's kind of, it's very interesting to think of it that way because then when you think of it that way, it's more or less someone recounting their adventures rather than Tolkien just kind of making something up as he goes. Yeah. So yeah, that is very interesting. I wonder why the Tolkien perspective. Is, yeah. I wonder why the Tolkien estate hasn't published like a special edition where it's the red book and um, it's, it's just the Hobbit and Lord of the Rings and adventure Tom Bombadil and whatever else would be in there. Yeah. But it's just, it's like the title and the cover and everything is the red book. Yeah. I wonder why they haven't done I that. I mean, I feel like that would be 
like a huge book too because you would you yeah. would have to make it like like if you think of, like you know like in the movies how Bilbo's writing in that book or whatever mm-hmm. like you can tell like that's a pretty hefty book like it's not like regular book size I don't know what is that like 11 oh that's not like it's not like standard like printer paper or whatever yeah it's like it's just really big pieces big of paper parchment. and then it's like leather bound and all that sort mm-hmm. of stuff like a red leather and stuff like that and it'd be really cool if they did come out with something like that you know had all the maps and had all the um like illustrations and had the hobbit lord of the rings adventures of tom bombadil um all the appendices too because those were parts mm-hmm. of the red books too um and it, yeah it would just be really interesting all the family trees notes on pronunciation all that sort of stuff and it would probably be super expensive, but you know what? I would yeah. probably want to buy it because that would be really cool. Do you think, for practical reasons, they would have it in regular, t- like regular font, like a like a regular book, or to make it like as authentic, they would not like write it out, but have it in like handwritten font, so f- then it's more authentic. I feel like if it was in a handwritten font, it would and. Yeah, the authentic feeling, then it would be, yeah, it would be awesome. And you know what would be even cooler? What? Is if it came with the one ring on a chain. Oh, that'd be cool. That would, yeah, that would be like the ultimate collector's edition of the Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit. Because they just came out with like the the Silmarillion and the Lord of the Rings like special editions where it's like, um, it's got like the dust cover and the like foldable maps and stuff like that. And it's, mm-hmm. you know, um, those are really cool, but it's like if they combined all of those into one giant book where it's like really big pieces of parchment, leather bound, it would be like just, it would be such a cool collector's item yeah. to have. Like it's almost like you wouldn't even like want to read out of it regularly, but it'd just be really cool to look through. Yeah. I wonder why they haven't even, they haven't done that. Yeah. I'll have to research it after this uh, or maybe I'll do it a do little it bit. Do it while I'm yeah. doing this. Yeah. Cause you yeah. already know who old man Willow is. I do. Yeah. You got to tell everybody else. But yeah, so Old Man Willow is that Willow we meet um, in Chapter 6 that entraps the hobbits and uh, kicks Bilbo into the, or Frodo into the uh, river. Um, so wh- Does he kick him or push him? He kind of pushes him. Do you him. think it's a leg? I was doing that more of just like a, uh, just like a figure of speech. He kicked him out there. Gotcha. He, sorry, for accuracy's sake, uh, he pushed him down into the river and held him in. Um. But so Old Man Willow is um, a tree in the forest, but he's not just like any tree. He is um, a being, I guess. He has, um, he's able to do things and move like trees uh, can't, regular trees can't. And in Lord of the Rings, or I guess in Middle Earth, there are uh, types of trees that can, or that are um, able to move and talk and do think for themselves and um those are called ents and there's also horns who are a different type of tree like that but um if you want to know more about specifically just all the trees and then like the ents and the horns episode 48 um of our podcast goes deep into it but uh just for right now old man willow is possibly an ent or possibly a horn because he's a tree with that can think and move and i don't know if we i think in the passage i'm going to read from the adventures of tom bombadil he talks but i don't think he talks in um well yeah he does he does talk to mary but we don't hear him talk yeah or we don't see the dialogue but he does communicate with mary um 
and uh, the reason it's possibly a horn or Old Man Will is possibly a horn instead of just an ent is the old forest was originally part of the same primordial forest as Fangorn, where the horns are, or where the horns are from. Uh, so the Great Willow, uh, which was another name he was known by, was an evil-hearted, uh, or was evil-hearted, and um, from it much of the forest's hatred of walking things came. So that's why when the hobbits were in walking through the forest, they felt like their path, they kept getting lost because their path kept getting blocked, and um, they wanted just the trees wanted to just let him through. Yeah. Um, despite his power, Tom Bombadil, who called him Old Gray Willow Man, had power over him, and checked the evil as much as he could or was willing. Um, so it seems like, uh, Old Man Willow was like second in command of the forest, and then there's Tom Bombadil who has power over him. Um, and we don't meet, or this is the only part of the story where we meet Old Man Willow. Um, in this section of the book, um, but he uh, he has a small small part in this whole big story. But he's an interesting character, and um, uh, like we were talking about earlier in the Adventures of Tom Bombadil, uh, Tom has a run-in with Old Man Willow. So I'm going to read. I'm not going to read the entire poem because it's just a small section of the poem. But so at the start of this poem, uh, Tom in Goldberry are just hanging out, running around. And then uh, Goldberry goes on to her mother's house. And Tom doesn't follow her, but goes a different way. So that's where we're picking up. Um, so, but Tom, he would not follow. On knotted willow roots, he sat in sunny weather, drying his yellow boots and draggled, and his draggled feather. Up oak uh, willow man began upon his singing, sang Tom fast asleep upon his branches swinging. In a crack, caught him tight, snick, it closed together, trapped Tom Bombadil, coat and hat and feather. Ha, Tom Bombadil, uh, what you be a-thinking, peeping inside my tree, watching me a-drinking, deep in my wooden house, tickling me with a feather, dripping wet down my face like rainy weather. You let me sing out, or let you let me out again, old man Willow, I am stiff lying here, there's no sort of pillow. Your your hard crooked roots drink your river water. Go back to sleep again like the river daughter. Willow man let him loose when he heard him speaking. Locked fast his wooden house, muttering and a creaking, whispering inside the tree. Out from Willow Dingle, Tom went walking up on the withy windle. So it's just a quick section where uh, Tom gets stuck with, or gets captured by the great Willow. Could be the first time it's happened. Probably is the first time it's happened. And it's the same exact thing that happens to the hobbits. Tom Bombadil takes a rest to dry off his boots, and he falls asleep and is captured by Old Man Willow. Uh, but he's able to use his power to get out of it. But it is interesting to think about um, if other hobbits or anything around the area had been captured by Old Man Willow and Tom wasn't there to help. Are there skeletons inside Old Man Willow? And why does he want to kill everything? I don't know, man. Because he's just a small character, but... I don't know, man. He could be a murdering tree that is actually really bad. Or just this, like... This nuisance that Tom Bombadil is like, Hey, come on, man. Let him go. Come on, dude. But yeah, that's what I got for the old man Willow. And yeah. like we said earlier, Tom Bombadil, we have an episode on him. Yes. Um, yeah. That let me see. I'll just look up right now what episode that is. So then, might as well. 
but yeah, so episode 48 is um, the uh, Trees episode, if you want to know yeah. more about that. And then episode 11 is our Tom Bombadil episode, if you, you want to deep dive on that. So, I mean, we gave you a deep dive on this stuff, but if you want an even deeper dive, we got we got episodes on all this stuff, dude. That's right. Yeah. We're getting there. We're about to cover everything, basically. Yeah. So, we'll see what happens after that. Um, yeah, so I didn't really find too much on the red book of west march um only that like some people like on etsy or like there's stuff on pinterest and stuff like that yeah uh, basically they've just made like replicas of it and it's like their own version of it mm-hmm. and then you know or there's like the prop replica that they use in the movies or yeah. whatever which i i saw a lot of but yeah there's not like an actual like from like the tolkien estate um, or like any of the Middle Earth Enterprises or whatever, they haven't actually made and released anything through a publisher. So that's interesting. Very interesting. Um, but if any of you executives are listening to this from any of yeah, those, all you executives, yeah, uh, go ahead and uh, take our idea into account and go ahead and make that, and then give us like a like give us like each a copy for free basically. Yeah, that'd be nice. Uh, Just two, please. Yeah, and, and only if you guys are listening to this too. Mm-hmm. You know, so yeah, yeah, just two, please. I think we'll be okay Only with two. that. Only um, two, and you know, like sign them, you know, and stuff Wait, like that. Who do we want to sign them? Actually, yeah, I don't know. I don't who know. Would sign if him. Christopher was still alive, I'd want him to sign it. But yeah, yeah don't, worry don't, 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 don't worry about signing it. Don't sign it. It's okay. Don't worry about it's it. It's okay. Or that maybe like if place. one of the actors from Lord of the Rings signed it, that'd be cool. Maybe, but I feel like this would be this is separate from the movies. Yeah, that's true. I feel like it'd be cool to just have just the book. Never mind. Yeah, never mind. Please don't sign it, guys. Just but give us a book, please. Yeah, just give us a copy for free. Ask. Thank you. And yeah. then everybody else oh, says... that's two copies for free, not one. Two yes, copies two. for free. Um, and everybody else has to pay full price. So Yes. Yep. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, so now I guess we're going to have to move on to some trivia. Trivia. I do have a bonus question, which is outside mm. of the three questions I normally ask. Uh, so if you want to answer that, it's just kind of something I found that was interesting. So I'll, I will talk about it, even if you get the answer wrong. Mine as well ask me the question all right here well, we, is this a bonus question or are we no doing this that after? regular stuff this okay. is regular stuff uh what were the brandy bucks called before settling buckland were they stewards is that the answer is no that? what was their last name like their family name the brandy bucks before they moved across the brandywine river it was it was buck something right or something buck yeah is it buck something or something buck something buck something buck what the buck i don't know what it, it Think like older, older. Um, that's about as straightforward of a hint as I can get. Old buck. Yep. Old. Oh, <laughs> yeah. it was old buck. I was trying to think of how like the names of the Hobbit clans could incorporate. And I was like Storbuck. Storbuck. Store I'm gonna go to Storbuck. Storbucks. Storbucks. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Just a Hobbit parody of Starbucks. Mm-hmm. Storbucks. Hey, yeah. that's really smart, man. Yeah. Good job. That'd be cool. All right, hit me. It was a boom, another good business idea for the Tolkien estate. Yeah. Storebucks. You guys are missing out. Yeah. Um, this one's pretty easy. Um, what is the name of the river that um, Old Man Willow is by and Frodo gets pushed into? Uh, the Withy Windle. Withy Windle. That's such dude. a cool name, too. Mm-hmm. Withy Windle. It's, it's just fun to say Withy Windle. Withy Windle. Withy Windle. What if we're saying it wrong and it's Withy Windle? Withy Windle. I don't know. Why the Windle, dude? Why the Windle, man? <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so there were considered three main authorities of the Shire. There was um 
and Buckland. There was the Master of Buckland, the Thane of the Shire, and the... Uh, Old Took? No, those were the Thanes. Oh. They were the Tooks. The Master Bucklands oh. were the Brandy Bucks. And then there was one that wasn't necessarily tied to a family name, but they were elected. Wasn't it like the governor or something? It's, it it's, it's along the lines. Maybe maybe Wasn't not. Sam one of them? Didn't it Sam yeah. elected it? Sam um, was one of them. The one. mayor? Yes. Mayor. Yes. The mayor of Mickle Delving. Mickle Delving. That's also another cool name. Yes. Nickel Delving. Okay. Um... So, uh, Sam and Frodo are outside of the uh, willow tree, and they're beating it and trying to start a fire. Which one of the two hobbits, Merry or Pippin, is the one who yells out to tell them to stop? Oh, um, is it uh, is it Mary? Yes, it's Mary. Sweet. Woo-hoo! I guess I had a fifty percent chance there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um. Okay, uh, th- I this one I didn't really explain well because the dreams were kind of confusing. Mm-hmm. Um, but what is the far green country in the dreams? Is it Valinor? Yeah. Yeah. Far green country. Far that green. is also my favorite, or one of my favorite soundtracks from the Lord of the Rings films. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it, it takes place... I don't know when it takes place, actually. It might take place at the end or something like that. I don't know. The Grey Havens is the song at the end. I don't mm-hmm. know. Anyway, it's a really good soundtrack if you go on Spotify or YouTube or Apple or yeah. whatever. Wherever you get your... Well, do it wherever you get your podcast from. Wherever you get your podcast from. Yeah. Check it out. Mm-hmm. Far Green s- Country. Tell them we sent you. Tell them we <laughs> sent you. Yeah, that's right. All right. Well, that's your last one. Okay. Uh, what color is the coat of Tom Bombadil and what color are his boots? Blue. Mm-hmm. What what's blue? The coat or the, the coat? The coat is blue. What are the boots? And then it it's yellow. Yes, right? dude. Yeah. Okay. Let's go. I wasn't sure if it was with pants that were yellow or not. Go blue. I don't think they say what colors pants are. Maybe no. red, I think. I think they're red. Unless I've just seen pictures of him with red pants. I feel like I've seen pictures of him with red, red pants hat. too. And red hat, I feel like. I don't know. No, red. not a red hat. That's more gnome. That's oh, yeah. more gnomey. Tolkien only mentions blue coat, yellow boots. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. Uh, this is my bonus question, mm-hmm. um, and I me. honestly don't expect you to get this at all because mm-hmm. I just found it out yesterday when I was reading The Lord of the Rings. Um, or I don't know if it was <laughs> when I was reading Lord of the Rings. It doesn't matter. Anyways. Yeah. What was the Brandywine Bridge called before the hobbits settled in the Shire? Oh yeah, I'm not gonna get this. Do you want to give me a hint to see if I can just try to get it? I yeah. have no. I have no idea. So I'll give you the first part of the name, and then there's just one kind of word that comes after. So it's it's called the Bridge of Stone Blank. Stone Creek, Stone Hollow. Is it? Is the second word like a place, or is it like a thing? It's a thing. Um, I don't know. Bridge of Stone Water. No, and it, I'll I'll give you one more hint. Okay. I mean it's. I don't know if you're ever going to get it, but it has something to do with like the architecture of the bridge. It's bridge of the Stone Arch. It's pretty close. Bridge of the Stone uh, Half Moon. Bridge <laughs> of the Stone Suspension. I don't know. The Bridge of Stone Bows. Stone Bows. They're kind of like oh, bows yeah. or whatever. The arches are bows. Mm-hmm. Um, 
it was called that during the time of Arnor and Arthodyne, you know, when there were actually Dunedain that lived there. So, yeah, I don't know. I th- I think I found it. Where did I see that? It might have been on that Tolkien Gateway, um, mm-hmm. but I was like researching stuff. Uh, I think I was researching for the episode and I had seen that the Brandywine Ridge, R- Bridge, I clicked on the link for the Brandywine mm-hmm. Bridge and it also said it had been known as the Bridge of Stonebows. Mm. Very interesting. And that's like the only time it's ever mentioned, I think, is in the appendices mm-hmm. um, of the Lord of the Rings, which is kind of interesting. But yeah, so, I mean, could move on to current events. Okay, well, let's do it. <laughs> yeah. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Middle Earth Current Events. This is current events on this earth pertaining to Middle Earth. Yes. Current event number one, that was a good addition to the podcast, Grant. That was an interesting topic that we didn't we didn't discuss talking about earlier, and I find it very interesting. The stone bows? Yeah, the stone bows. Okay. I didn't know that. That was a current event number one, because we don't have much to talk about today. Current event number two. Current event number two. Um, September 2nd was the 50th anniversary of Tolkien's death. Yeah. Um... It's uh, yeah, the fiftieth anniversary. So it's like sad, but like, let's go fiftieth anniversary. Right. Yeah. <laughs> let's do it. Man. Wait. So what was it? Seventy three. Yeah, nineteen seventy three. Dang. Nineteen seventy two. That was the year after my mother was born. Wow. She was alive when Tolkien was alive. She's old. That's crazy. Yeah. I think my mom was three years old when Tolkien died. Mm. Yeah. That's sad. That's sad, man. That's crazy. Yeah. All right. Tolkien. Tolkien. But yeah, to my main man. So we just wanted to let's do you have. Think, do you think Tolkien would have been your best man at the wedding if, if he was alive and you're like friends with him? Yeah, I mean it would have been tough with like the politics of like, oh, my brother's my best man, and then maybe Tolkien. Yeah, know. but it's Tolkien. You know what? He'd yeah. be before you. I can tell you that. Ah. I can tell you that right now. <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just kidding. Um, That's awesome. He uh, so he died, <laughs> and but you know what? We appreciate Tolkien because we wouldn't be here talking. If Tolkien, Talkin', Tolkien, if Tolkien didn't wasn't alive, yeah. If he, well, he's not alive. If he never existed, that's true. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, so that's yeah, our, even even fifty years after his death, his his work is still, I would say, even more relevant today than what it was back then. It's quite certainly more popular. Back, I think it's um, the best selling, one of the best sellings. I'm pretty sure it is. Yeah, uttered in the Bible, uttered in the Bible. So it'd be the best selling secular book, I think. Yeah, I would say so. Yeah, um, so we don't really, yeah, we don't really have much for current events, but we Aww. do have some s- uh, discussion stuff, um, just kind of talking more about interesting topics, um, not necessarily a deep dive, but just kind of talking back and forth, Dive talking Tolkien. So one of my things is this has more to do with the movies than it does the books, but many people think that Frodo is the weak link in the in the kind of fellowship, right? They mm. always see that Sam is the real hero of the Lord of the Rings. He's the one who actually carries Frodo and, and encourages him and gets him to move on, you know, and without Sam, Frodo would have never been able to actually do anything. And Frodo was just someone who was weak and he was carrying the ring and that was all he was good for is he was just the one carrying the ring. I don't buy it. Yeah. I don't buy it. But... What a lot of people don't realize is that Frodo does a lot more um, than people let on. You know, he showed Gollum pity uh, when they first captured him. Instead of killing him right away, he showed him pity. He realized what Bilbo and Gandalf had meant when they never killed him. Um, And he ended up um, 
making him kind of like swear his loyalty and Gollum chose to swear on the ring, which ended up in his downfall, mm-hmm. of course. But Frodo was merciful enough to let him serve him. Like he saw the use in Gollum instead of just killing him to get rid of him. Um, and that eventually gave them the opportunity to find a way into Mordor, which otherwise they would have had a very hard time doing. And he kind of had, Frodo also kind of had a sixth sense when it came to the enemy and, um, and you know, like he, he could sense like when they were about to be trapped with Shelob, even though he ended up, you know, getting stung and stuff. But, Mm -hmm. and he, he also could tell like, just like, especially with having the one ring on, he could tell when the black riders were nearby and just kind of had like an almost like gut feeling whenever they were in trouble. So it kind of saved them in the long run. You know, they had time to prepare, time to escape and that sort of thing. Um, and he also did take on the task of carrying the one ring. You know, he was brave enough to say, yeah, I'll walk all the way to Mordor and deliver the one ring myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and he ended up, you know, basically sacrificing his life because he was never the same after that. And he sacrificed his comfort in the Shire, um, you know, in Bag End just to save not only the Shire, but the world. Mm-hmm. So he was very selfless and very brave, I would say. So I honestly do think Frodo is the real hero and might not, you know, some people might not like hearing that. They think that Sam was the real hero. He is called Samwise the Brave, though. So, yeah, there's that. He's got that going for him. But I think Frodo, Tolkien wrote Frodo kind of as a hero or maybe like an anti-hero, I guess. And he does remain the hero. So. Yeah, and I think the... He is the main character. Yeah, the difference between Frodo and Sam, I think the reason a lot of people see... And I do think Sam is a hero, but I agree that Frodo is the main hero. Yeah. Um, I think the reason people see Sam as the hero is because um, he uh, kind of stayed pure through the whole thing and yeah. wasn't influenced by the ring. And it was never... Um, like a temptation for him but uh, the reason is because yeah, I, mean, he I guess until the very end because oh yeah at that point it would be hard for anyone to resist yeah but he frodo had the ring the entire time yeah and the ring weighs down on whoever mm-hmm. is wearing it it doesn't matter who's wearing it it's gonna weigh down and dig down into them yeah and he never gave up yeah so he was i feel like he was the strongest of the ring bearers because yeah. of what he well well i guess sauron's a ring bearer but he did defeat sauron but like he didn't fight Sauron. Yeah. So would Sauron be the strongest ring bearer? I don't know, man. <laughs> okay. Other than Sauron, Frodo. Well, if you think about it too, Sauron did lose to Gilgalad and Elendil, even uh-huh. while wearing the One Ring. Oh yeah. And Isildur chopped it off of his finger, so it's like oh, okay. no, he wasn't able to keep it. So. Okay. So here, I'm thinking. I'm thinking more of Frodo's will has the strongest will of anybody who wore the ring. Ah. Then instead of just like strength, he bold. has the strongest will. Very bold. Yeah. So he was but able. That is that is a very valid point, though. Yeah. So I think that the with Frodo um, being worn down by the ring and in, in the end ultimately not being able to throw it in himself, um, people see that as a fault. But that's I feel like that's something that if the roles were switched and Sam had the ring at the end, it, it would have been the same because of the strength of the ring, the ring not wanting to be thrown into the, into Mount Doom at the very end. I think whoever had it would have been tempted to keep it. Yeah. Um, and it was Frodo did so much just by bringing it all the way that way. And then also Frodo wouldn't have been able to do it without Sam, but Sam wouldn't have been able to do it without Frodo. Right. Yeah. So Sam wouldn't have any, 
have even been there without Frodo, you know? Yeah. Which I mean, I kind of be like one way or the other, you know, Sam wouldn't have been in all that danger if it weren't for Frodo, but Sam would also have been a hero if it weren't for Frodo. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. And I guess you could also talk, or you could also, how you said he had, Frodo had pity on Gollum. Um, Sam wanted to get rid of Gollum and kill Gollum. Yeah. And, um, yeah, he was basically hostile against Gollum the whole time and Frodo yeah. saw the real value in it. So, and it's, yeah. So Frodo had the long term in mind and Sam just has a short term mind, which would be a fault of a hero if, especially if the hero just killed, if the hero just killed someone for no reason, like Gollum, just killed Gollum for no reason, um, he wouldn't be as good of a hero as if, if he didn't like Frodo did. Yeah. I think the only the one thing that stops people or the big point of it is that Frodo ultimately lost to the ring at the end and couldn't throw it in. If Frodo was able to just throw it in, then there would be no debate. Right, yeah. But I think Sam did contribute a lot, but um, Frodo contributed a whole lot more. And yeah. like you said, has sacrificed a lot. But it all, yeah, it also goes to show that like just because the character is a hero doesn't mean they're not going to make mistakes, you know? Mm-hmm. Like there's going to be parts where they fall and that what's, that's what makes them a hero too, is they overcome through the adversity, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and this is kind of moving on a little bit, but mm-hmm. how big of a part did Fatty Bulger play in the whole story? Like, think about it. Think about the whole effect that he had mm-hmm. just by being friends with Frodo. Um, I feel like he played a pretty big part with putting off the, uh, the black riders yeah um, exactly like mm-hmm. it's like if if fatty boulder didn't stay behind the black riders would know to move on right away from quirk hollow mm-hmm. and follow them into the old forest and they would have known where they were going they would have had been on the move but because fatty boulder was still at home they thought oh frodo's here frodo's at home so they went and um tried you know searching for frodo at home but it was just fatty bulger but he made it look like as if frodo had been living there you know frodo's clothes were out there was like dishes and dinner and stuff like that Mm -hmm. going on so he really he really played his part and he tricked him and if it wasn't for that if if it wasn't for that little bit of like um like cushion between Frodo and the Black Riders, if it weren't for like a literal cushion, fatty, you know, <laughs> yeah. um, if it wasn't for him, the Black Riders would have, oh, wait. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. they would have definitely caught up to Frodo before they got to Bree and before they got to Bree yeah. and met Strider. Um, and so it would have been the downfall right there. So mm-hmm. fatty Bulger, is he the real hero? <laughs> I don't know. dude. <laughs> no, he's not, but he's definitely, he plays a big part for a small character. Mm-hmm. You know, what about yeah. Falco Bulger? Falco Boffin. What did he I'm do? Just kidding. He yeah, I was going to say, I don't remember but what he did. He is mentioned as one of the friends of Frodo, like very yeah. early on in the book. He's probably a good dude. Probably a good dude, though. Mm-hmm. Pretty cool. Yeah. So uh, eh, just a little bit of discussion, something to think about of who are the real heroes of the Lord of You know of what? Rings. I'll put a poll up and then um, you guys can vote on who's the real hero of Lord of the, of the, Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Sam, Frodo, or Fatty. Or I'll put other. Or other. So then you could be like, uh. Because it could be like Aragorn, I guess. Yeah. Or, yeah, or me. Just say, not not me as in Jay, but me as in whoever votes. Like, oh, me, I'm the star. Or sure. the hero. <laughs> yeah. Wait, who's, so we did hero. Who's the star of Lord of the Rings, dude? That would probably be Sam. Sam, yeah. Or Aragorn, maybe. I was going to say Sam or Aragorn, beca- or Aragorn because Aragorn turns into the king. He's the chosen one. Who's the dark horse? Who's oh Gandalf. 
Yeah. He's kind of behind the scenes. Yeah. Kind of getting everything moving. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyways, so kind of something we're starting to end with now is uh, what are we reading? Oh, yeah. Um, I'll go first. I'm just going to list all three of mine because you guys have all heard these again. But, mm-hmm. like, um, I have finished The Hobbit, yes. Um, and I started reading The Fellowship of the Ring, which is oh, yeah. aside from the chapters that we're reading um, for the episodes here. Uh, but just like it's my, it's part of my annual read through of the Lord of Rings and that sort of thing. It just kind of mm-hmm. happened to almost line up with what I'm reading for research. So it is kind of cool though. I'm just reading this for like, I've already researched the chapters basically ahead of time, but now I'm just reading it for fun so I can kind of apply what I know, mm-hmm. um, in depth to the books. It's kind of cool. Um, uh, and I'm, I've kind of taken a break just cause I got super busy over, you know, we had Labor Day weekend over here in the States, mm-hmm. across the pond in the States. Yeah. Um, so it was a pretty busy weekend and it was a busy end to August. So I'm just kind of catching up with everything. So I kind of took a little break from reading, um, Anne of Windy Poplars, part of the Anne of Green Gable series. Mm-hmm. And I also took a break from reading the Mabinogion, which is the Welsh Chronicles and Legends. Um, so I took a little break from those, but I plan on getting back into those in a little bit. Um, now that it's all basically fall and cooler weather has started to arrive in America, um, mm-hmm. yeah, it feels more like autumn. Love autumn. Autumn is perfect for reading. Yes. So I'm excited to do some more reading. Also more hiking. Cooler yes. weather. Cooler weather. Leaves will change in October. So I'm excited mm-hmm. for that too. Yeah. What about you? Are you uh, reading anything new or doing anything new? Yeah. So just this morning I started the brothers Karamazov by okay. Fyodor Dostoevsky. Yes. Yes. Um, uh, I've read it before cause I'm doing this year trying to go through books that i've read before because i'm always like oh i read that and i'm like oh i gotta read that again but then i'm always like i got all these new books so this yeah. year i was like i'm gonna read through all the books that i'm like i gotta read that again yeah so and the next, next one, year yeah yeah the next one to come up was the brothers karmatsov which is a really good book um i like dostoevsky mm-hmm. i mentioned earlier i read the idiot which was by him yeah um but yeah he's just a great author i like the russian authors russian authors are good <laughs> Those old Russian authors, dude. Yeah, Karl Marx. <laughs> no, no kidding, that's not that's not one of the Russian. Is authors. Is he Russian? I'm pretty sure he is, right? I think so. Yeah. Um, this is going to turn into a political discussion podcast. Yeah, but uh, I mean, I guess uh, he was. Oh, he was German born. I guess that makes sense. Marx. Oh, yeah. Whoops. Well, you could do Stalin. Stalin was Russian. Yeah, Stalin. I don't know how much he wrote, but not a lot. Yeah, but he did a lot. Not good stuff, but um. So the Brothers Karamazov is just about these four brothers, um, I guess half-brothers, um, and this dad, Fyodor Karamazov, um, who's just not a good guy, and then he dies mis- under mysterious circumstances, and it's like a kind of like a murder mystery, or it's a um, it's more of like a philosophical book disguised as a murder mystery because Fyodor Dostoevsky always does like these... Um, uh, his books are very, um, they have like deep questions in them and, um, but they're always like interesting. Like crime and punishment is a crime novel, but it's also about like, um, the worth of like, is it okay to, um, kill somebody if they're not contributing to society? This one's more about, um, this one's more about, uh, if God is real, then how can bad things happen disguised as a 
murder mystery novel. Um, and the, and it's really interesting. It's long, though, so it's going to take me a while to get through. Yeah. The other book I'm reading is Blindness by Jose Saramago. Saramago? I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. Um, it's another one of the rereads I'm doing. It's really good. Um, Jose Saramago is a Portuguese writer. Um, I don't, I, it's translated into English. Don't get me, I don't read Portuguese, but, um, it's just a really interesting, um, book about the, um, this is town or the, this, um, disease called the white blindness goes through where everybody just goes blind and nobody knows why, but there's one lady who doesn't go blind and it's just a story about them trying to survive. It's kind of like apocalyptic, post-apocalyptic. Oh yeah. (laughs) It's my dog is twitching. Yeah. She's dancing. She's dreaming. But yeah, it's like a post-apocalyptic book. Um, just about where everybody just goes blind and it's really interesting. Hmm. Um, he also has a book after it called seeing, which I've read and I don't think it's as good. Um, because everybody can see and then it has to do with it's more of like political stuff instead yeah. of just like an actual post-apocalyptic thing but yeah those are the two books i'm reading because we finished walden yes Walden, very good i liked we did. it yeah mm-hmm. we'll probably read the rest of it some Eventually. other time but yeah well you got to take a break every once in a while we got other stuff we want to read like jay was just saying he's reading through all of his new stuff and yeah. i'm reading well i'm about to start reading all my stuff again so mm-hmm. got to read through lord of the rings again yeah. I'm, a, I'm a man of routine mm-hmm. um also in america <laughs> football is back football is back nfl and college football started college football has started i'm mm-hmm. a big fan of the michigan wolverines yeah. go blue Ooh, tom uh, bombadil blue and yellow there we go tom bombadil blue and yellow uh, you may think I'm pretentious, but I am not a pretentious fan. I'm a very casual fan, but I love when the Wolverines win, and I Who love shoving win? it in people's faces when it matters. So, uh, And I'm also <laughs> a – so I guess I am pretentious. Um, I'm also a big Detroit Lions fan for pro yes. football. Uh, Lions. Very, I mean, I guess by the time this podcast comes out, they will already have played. And you can probably guess where we live based off of Grant's two favorite teams. I guess they're my two favorite teams as well. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I feel like we've mentioned we live yeah. in Michigan before. But, uh, <gasps> wow, dude. but anyways, um, yeah, by, by the time this episode comes out, the games, the whole, you know, Sunday games, the week one of NFL football already have started, Mm -hmm. but the Detroit Lions play the Kansas City Chiefs. Chiefs. Um, We're looking for an upset there because not a lot of people think that the hype for the new Detroit Lions is, is, you know, all there. It's all all good, I guess. Um, But I think Mm -hmm. we can pull off the upset. Travis Kelsey, their star tight end for the Chiefs, he's out. He's questionable because of Mm -hmm. his knee. He hyperextended his knee. So, I mean – that's one of their star players that could be out. That could be a big hurt. They've got one of their uh, defensive, I think, linemen, uh, Chris Jones, really, really good. That would have hurt us on offense. But he's out for the time being before the game because he is waiting for a contract extension that they won't give him. So he's saying, I'm not playing until you're paying, that mm-hmm. sort of thing. What's so, that What's that called in court when a filibuster where you just keep talking and put off the stuff you know yeah basically that's what he's doing but i have a feeling they probably will extend him by tomorrow um right Mm -hmm. before the game Mm -hmm. but enough about football (laughs) 
Back to Tolkien. Back to Tolkien. Okay, that's all we have yeah. for Tolkien. <laughs> so uh, we'll we'll get at you. We'll get at you next time with uh, episode fifty-eight, and we'll do a deep dive of chapters seven and seven eight. Seven and eight. Um, so that might be kind of easy to remember. Mm-hmm. You've got two weeks to read the chapters. Okay, that's a chapter a week. That's pretty doable. Mm-hmm. We're going to be reading in the house of Tom Bombadil and Fog on the Barrow Downs, nice. which are also very good chapters. I love chapters. Tom Bombadil. The whole Barrow Downs is very interesting. There's plenty of history we can cover there. So we'll see you next time on Exploring Middle Earth. Bye.